Today, rather than have you turn to a specific passage in the scriptures, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at a number of different ones. Uh, so the bulk of them I'm going to be putting up on the screen for you this morning as we kind of bounce around. Um, I'm, I'm one of these guys that's fascinated with history, in particular presidential history. Uh, you read about presidents, it is, it is so interesting of what went on. You find out there's nothing new under the sun when you read history. And uh, one in particular book that I read was a book called First Friends, and it's written by Gary Ginsburg. And he looks at various presidents throughout time and the people that they had in their lives who were their friends, people who shaped them incredibly. He shares one particular story about Abraham Lincoln. I did not know this about Lincoln, but Lincoln, when he was young, nine years old, his mother passed away. A few years go by, uh, one of his sisters died in childbirth. And then he was engaged to be married to a young woman, and then she caught, I think it was typhoid, and she passed away. So he never even got to be married to this woman. So this was a guy, you see those pictures of him, and he looks so forlorn and haggard. There's a lot going on there. This guy really struggled with, and we would diagnose him today as uh, depression, serious depression, because of all the pain and the suffering that he had been through and the difficulties that he had endured. And so here's a guy who grows up, he gets into adulthood, he's trying politics, it isn't working out so well for him, he tries business, that's not working out so well for him, and he just continues to go downhill. And one day he runs into a man, and this guy's name is Joshua Speed. And Joshua just gets to talk with him, and Joshua's also interested in politics, and they're kind of some similar uh, interests that they both have, and Joshua needed a roommate. So he said, hey, listen, I got a room, it's on the upstairs above my business, How'd you like to share that room? We can split the rent, you know, and, 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 and get along, and I think we can be good friends. And so sure enough, those two did, and they became exceptionally good friends. They roomed together for four years, and they talked about everything together. They looked at politics and just business and how things in life were. They talked about ladies. And in fact, it was Joshua Speed that introduced Abraham to a young woman named Mary Todd, 21-year-old female, who later became his wife. And as time went on, you know, Lincoln stepped into the presidency and all that went on with that. And a guy who's already depressed, my goodness, did he not have reason to go even further? And it was Joshua Speed who came along and just brought light into his path. Somebody who would listen to him, put a, put a hand on his shoulder, affirm him. They didn't agree on all the big issues either. But they could get past that and realizing, I'm going to minister to you. And they each did that for one another. Now, I tell you that story, but I contrast it with another one that uh, I encountered. It's actually been several years back, and it had to do with a woman who came in, and she was talking about a number of the different problems she was having. And as I was listening, I said, boy, you have got a load on your shoulders. Let me ask you something. Who, who are some of your friends? And she gave me the most incredulous look. Friends? I said, yeah, who are some of your friends? She goes, I, I don't have any friends. Well, Maybe one on the West Coast that I can occasionally call. And I heard that and I thought, how tragic. This woman wasn't a newcomer. She had been at this church for years. She'd been part of a community of people, but she never opened herself up. She never allowed other people into her life to speak to her. She was closed off. And when we hear stories like this, I think most of us realize within us we know that God has hardwired us to be a people who long for a depth of friendship. Yes, we got to be in a community at large, but God wants us to know people at a greater depth. And we can't do that with everybody, 
but we can do that with some people. And we see it in literature and in the movies that we watch. I mean, think about some of the ones that are the biggest names that we've heard of or remember of in the past. Band of Brothers. You know there's going to be something about relationships. The Fellowship of the Ring. You know there's going to be friendships and, and things through adversity. Stand by me. Right there, the title alone is a powerful theme. My goodness, there was even a TV show for a number of years called Friends. I don't recommend it. But the point is, there's something about this idea of having people come alongside us that is so important to us. I'd like to suggest to you that the height of life for you and I is to have close friends. The height of it. People that you trust, that you can share things with. The individual who when tragedy strikes and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you can call and they will pick up. They will be there for you. When good things are happening, you can share it, and they will genuinely be excited with you. They are happy to know, happy to rejoice with you. But for a lot of us, maybe not a lot, but definitely for some of us, friendships are a lot like eating turnips. People say they're good for you, but overall they feel kind of bitter, and you don't really like them that much. And um, why is that? Quite often it's because you were hurt. Somebody let you down. Somebody disappointed you. And so the idea of acquaintances, yeah, I'm okay with that. A community, well, yeah, okay, that'll work with me. But friends, oh, that is terrifying. As we start out our life groups this year, we've made it clear that there's a purpose behind them. And the purpose behind them is so that you have a place. It's an easy on-ramp so that you can come on and you can be known by other people. That's what we're trying to facilitate. We do not do it because we feel the need to have a program. There's plenty of other things that can accomplish that. We do it because, ultimately, our God is a God of friendship. It's, it's part of who he is in his essence. And so within all of us, as I mentioned before, if we're made in the image of God, there is something within us that longs and desires to have and to be a true and close friend. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. So today I'm going to give you a few things. First, I'm going to start off with sort of a theology of friendship with you. And we're going to look biblically at why friendships are so important. And then we're going to look at some of the hurdles that we face in being able to have and to make friends. And finally, we're going to talk about the price tag that comes along with friendship. What will it cost me? So let me begin with the biblical basis behind it. When you take your Bible and you open it and you start reading page by page, you can't even get past the first chapter where you find God makes this statement, let us make man in our image. And this comes back to the fact that our God is a singular God, but he is triune, which means he is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's not three gods. He's one God, but he's three persons. Jack, how do you explain that? I don't know. That's the best I can do right there. It's, uh, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a doctrine for us to figure out, but it's definitely one for us to marvel at and to look and to realize that is the significance of how big our God is. And so as a result, you have Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is never and has never been lonely. He didn't make man because he was lonely, not at all. And it's in his triune essence, he possesses a fellowship and a love in his triune personhood. In fact, Jesus put it like this in John 17, 24, when he prayed, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. There is a closeness that they have. God, in his very essence, is about the deepest that we can find in unity, in fellowship, in friendship, and in love. Go one more chapter later, and you get into chapter 2, 
And in verse 18, after creation, and note this, before sin entered the world, before the world had begun and stepped into fallenness, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so Adam has this chance to see all these animals go by. And as, he go, as they go, he's seeing there's male and female, there's male and female. And he also recognizes they don't really fit and fulfill what I need. Because, I'm, and don't forget, even the dog went by, man's best friend. All right? No, no, no. That's not sufficient enough. And so the solution was God would make him a friend. And in that particular context, we know that it was his wife, a companion. And while the emphasis in that chapter is on the marital bond, all humans, all relationships would be birthed in and come forth from that. And so here's the point we find. One person cannot adequately reflect the fullness of God's triune image. You can't do it by yourself. You've got to have others. And you see it repeatedly in scriptures, don't you? You see Ruth, and she's got Naomi. Ruth will give up her home such that she can be with Naomi. You've got Jonathan, who would risk his life on a couple of occasions for the sake of his friend, David. You've got the apostle Paul, who called on Timothy and said, I'm lonely. I need you to come. Come before winter. Come soon. And then you've got Jesus. Now, Jesus is very interesting to look at because, you remember, he has the masses that he ministers to, but then those kind of get choked down to the 70 disciples that he sends out in pairs. That chokes down a little further into the 12 that he has, and he spends extensive time with them. And of the 12, we're constantly reminded of three in particular, Peter, James, and John. And then of John, we find that this is the one who gets the unique title of the one that Jesus loved. And so Jesus has these depth of relationships, and there are some that he is going to be closer with and to as a result of it. And so think about this for a moment. If God decreed that the first Adam needed friends, the second Adam was also not going to live alone. He was going to have others around him. In fact, the heart of the gospel of Jesus is that God created man for fellowship with him. And we rejoice that Jesus is the one who came to be a friend to sinners. And that friendship was ultimately displayed for us on the cross where Jesus reconciled us to God by being the substitute for the punishment that was due us for our sins. But he goes one step further. He takes his perfect righteousness and then he turns around and he gives it unto any who would follow after him and trust and believe in him to then one day not only have fellowship now, but one day participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, I'm talking about food right before lunch. By the way, you want to do an interesting study? Go through the scriptures and look how often eating is a part of relationship. It's a big deal. You see it, we see it in communion. You see it in the Old Testament covenants. The way you sealed a covenant was you had a meal together. Something about food that brings us together. And so what we find ultimately in this his friendships are a picture of the gospel of Jesus. We've gone too far. Yeah, there you go. Picture, friendships are a picture of the gospel of Jesus. Now, Proverbs speaks about friends a whole lot. Uh, you can do a study just on that, how many times the word friends is used within that. And it's clear behind it that we're not only meant to live in community, but we're meant to have these people that we know exceptionally well. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times. In 18, 24, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are some people that will be even tighter and closer to you than your blood relatives. 
Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. This is an individual who loves and treasures the relationship you have so much that they're willing to put it even at risk to make sure you know the truth. A good friend is going to help arrest what I'll call your stinking thinking. And we all have that. And we need other people to arrest our stinking thinking to say, no, that's not truth. We've got to get this fixed and we've got to get this right and aligned. Proverbs 27.6 says that um, a man's, or 27.9, a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. And by the way, Jesus did all of these for us. And if he's the prime example, this is what we will do for others. Well, what is it that ultimately makes for a friend? You ever stop and think about that? What, what makes someone more of a friend than others? Usually we think of things like maybe there's a common outlook or some sort of a bond. Maybe we just have something that's a common interest. Can I make this suggestion to you for a definition? That friendship is a close relationship of truth and trust. There's, there's, you're oriented and you're centered around the truth of who God is and how he's made you and who you are. But then it moves one step further and there's this level of trust that you build up and you cultivate with the other person. And God has done this with us. And so when we think about Think about a friendship with God. I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they get uncomfortable. It's like, what, am I going to start calling God my little buddy, you know? No. But what we do is we realize that this is someone who is the ultimate companion. He's always going to be there for us, and he will never desert us. And even if everyone else pushes us aside, if everyone else dismisses us, we have an individual who is going to remove our loneliness if all we had was just him. Psalm 2710 says, For my father and my mother may have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. And there have been people throughout history who've had to do this when their family rejected them because they trusted in Christ. And they had to say, If I lose them, but I've got you, then that's where I'll go, Lord. Isaiah 4110 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then I love this word by Jesus in Matthew 28, 20, where he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But I think that the paramount passage and the verse that we have where God speaks to us about what it means to be a friend, we find in John 15, where Jesus makes this statement. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. I will pay the highest thing for your sake. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, did you catch what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, because I am your friend, I will be known by you, and I will be known to you. I'm revealing who I am in my essence. And, and in that relationship, this is going to work both ways. And there's an alignment that we have with him. So with all of this biblical evidence, we find that friendship is the gospel on display. Jesus draws us close to him, and we will seek to do that with other people as well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why friendship is under spiritual attack. For those of you that are wrestling with friends, say, I don't have any friends, this is why. It's that important to God. Our hearts have a tendency to get wrapped in barbed wire for protection because the fear that we have of what might happen to us or the pain maybe that we've encountered before will come back. And it drowns out 
our faith and our trust that what God has said is true, the relationship that we have with God, and it drowns out our ability then to give that to other people. I will make you a comment here. If you, if you don't have friends, if you're not pursuing friends, if you're not attempting to have that, I can trace it back to the fact that you don't really understand what friendship is with God because you can't give what you don't already have. And that's where we have to begin. That's why we begin at the theology of how does God befriend us? And then we turn around and give that to others. And that's why this is under a spiritual attack. My goodness, in the year I was born, back in the 1900s, um, <laughs> Paul Simon wrote this song, I Am a Rock. I know you've all heard it before. He says, I've built walls, a fortress steep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship, for friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. That's the year I was born. One of the most recent hits out there right now is by Miley Cyrus, a song called Flowers. Listen to her lyrics. She says, I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand. I can talk to myself for hours and say things you don't understand. I can take myself dancing and can hold my own hand. Yeah, I can love me better than you can. That's the bookends of my life. From the year I was born to this year, this is the message that continues to come at us. That friends, no, you can't go there. And the devil takes it and he puts it in this incredible suitcase of these amazing tunes and songs. But it, it just starts to get into our brains. And before long, this is what we believe. You're not safe. Get the barbed wire out. You've got to be protected. And God says, no, no. It's not the way I am with you. And it's not the way I want you to be with others. Well, having said all that, do we still have struggles? Is it just simply that simple, just purpose? There are difficulties that we have. Let me just run through a few of the hurdles that we face in having friends. One of the first ones is technology. Now, I'm not going to say technology is bad. Technology is neither bad nor good. It all comes down to how you use it. My challenge to all of us, most of us don't use it appropriately, particularly when we're talking about social media. You can use it in great and amazing ways. But most people don't. And if all of your friends start to become virtual, that's going to be a problem for you. You're going to find that's not that satisfying. Two books in the Bible, 2 John and 3 John. Read them sometime. They're only one page, really short. And they both end the same way with John saying this, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with paper and ink. And with the other one, he says, I don't want to do so with pen and ink. By the way, that's the technology of that day and how you would communicate. He says, that's insufficient. He says, I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be made full. Y'all remember Duck Dynasty? My date myself here. Remember old Uncle Cy? I love one of Uncle Cy's comments about all this. He said of virtual friendships, he says, I, it ain't enough that I can just see you and then I can hear you. I got to be able to smell you. I got to have you up close to me. It's interesting that a non-Christian author fellow named Johan Hari in his book Stolen Focus has researched about social media and how it was designed. Let me tell you what he writes about it. 
He says, it would be really easy for Facebook to be designed so that when you opened it, it told you which of your friends were close by and which of them would like to meet for a drink or dinner that week. The coding is that simple. It could probably be written in a day and it would be hugely popular. Why don't they do it then? Why doesn't it happen that way? Because that doesn't fit their business model. Facebook is not crafted to bring you together. It's crafted to make money. That's the intent behind it. How do they make money? They keep you scrolling. You continue to stay on here because anytime you put the screen down, they lose money. Because here's how they make money. Advertisers. And advertisers need to know how many people are online, how long are they staying online. And so they'll ship the money over so that Facebook gets it and they keep you online. And the other method that they have is they take the information that they've got on you and they begin to scan it, sort it, and store it. And they build a profile of you. And then they take that and they turn around and they sell that to advertisers so the advertisers can target you and get the information uh, to you that they want. So for most of us, not all of us, for most of us, it is not a tool for making friends. It winds up just being an addiction that helps to fund these big companies, and it leaves us feeling more alone and more stressed. Doesn't have to be that way, but that's the reality for most of us. That's one aspect, one hurdle. Another one is just sin in general. Uh, when we look in the Bible, you know, you see what happens when Adam sins? Cast out of the garden, there's a separation that occurs. When Cain slays his brother Abel, what happens to him? He becomes a wanderer. He has to go about throughout the earth. When Peter denies Christ, what does he do? He flees. He runs away. And so sin has a way of cutting off our fellowship with one another. In some cases, though, it's just depression, where we step into these emotional black holes that we encounter. And the problem with this is we decide to stay in it. It goes back to, I feel safe if I'll just retreat in the dark hole that I have around me. And we begin to say, I'm all alone. Y'all remember a guy named Elijah? After he has that big victory at Mount Carmel, he runs off and he cries out to God and he says, God, just kill me. Why, do you, why should I kill you, Elijah? I'm all alone. I'm out here all by myself. And he's retreated into this aloneness. And God said, no, 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 no. There's 7,000 other people like you. Get up and get out of here. Depression, whether it's you or the person you're trying to reach, is significant. Another one is just old age. That can isolate you over time because you just you can't be with your friends. You can't get up and get out necessarily as a result of it. By the way, Tom mentioned the uh, live stream. That's part of the reason that we keep a live stream is realizing some people can't come. And so to whatever degree we can to include them, we want to do so. But my goodness, is that not a reason for the power of a ministry for the people who want to go out and minister to those who can't come? Being ostracized, that can also leave you lonely when your friends have cut you off. And my goodness, do the Psalms not talk about this all the time? Sometimes it was an enemy, sometimes it was a friend. But these feelings of being ostracized, and we tend to push people away. Maybe it's a public shame that you feel like you have to hide yourself. You've got these problems, you don't want other people to know it, or maybe it's just relatives, right? You've got choices that relatives are making and you're sort of like, oh, I'm embarrassed about this. And folks can retreat based on that. Or then maybe just a loss of identity. I've got an avatar up there because it's sort of like, well, you're, we know you're there, but what's your face and what's your name? 
And when people move, well, they really encounter this. I had all my friends over here. Now I'm over here. I don't, I don't have anybody. Nobody knows who I am. I'm all alone. And so there are hurdles that we have and that we struggle with. And the number one reason I have found why people leave churches, and this isn't unique to ours. I've talked to people who left other churches. The number one reason, I don't have any friends. I had friends, and they all left. Some of you went through that with COVID. In other cases, it's, I, I, nobody really took the initiative with me. They didn't call. And so they come with the hope that somebody would want them and want to be around them. But when their friends don't or they don't acquire the friends, they go, that's it. I'm just going to leave. So what do we do? If you're going to be like friends, then like Jesus, you got to be willing to pay a little bit of a price. There is. To pay the cost that friendship requires. Let me run through a few of them. Here's the first cost. you got to take the risk of initiating friendships. And this is what most people don't want to do. Other people need to come to me. I, I shouldn't have to go to them. They should be coming to me. And if you stop and think about it, okay, if we all took that mindset, what's going to happen? Nobody's going to do it. We need to be a people who step out and take the risk of initiating with others to invite them over, to come to play, to have dinner, to, to do things together, uh, to serve together. And again, as a church, what we're trying to do with our life groups is we're trying to help facilitate this. It's just providing an on-ramp. It's not the only one, but we're trying to make it just as easy as possible for you to get in there so that you can initiate. And it begins by showing up, and then you begin to talk, and then you begin to invite and see what happens over time. The second cost is going to be time. Time is like money. It's finite, and you don't have a lot of it. And you have to ask yourself, how am I going to spend it? Where's it going to go? Are you going to invest it in building relationships? I know I've told you all probably three or four times from this pulpit, but I'm going to tell you again about that article I read years ago that shaped me. And they, they broke it down and said, generally, there's an hour block to making friends. The first block is 50 hours to move from an acquaintance to a casual friend. 50 hours of being together. The number goes up to a total of 90 hours before you're comfortable in initiating certain things or asking them to come house sit you know, your plants while you're away. You don't get real deep friendships until about 200 hours. Now let me put all this in perspective. If you went to a life group that met for an hour and a half and you went to every single one in the year, you got 45 hours. You haven't even hit the 50-hour mark. So what does that mean? It means that's a start. But then we got to start talking with people and initiating with people and, and moving on from there. My wife always fusses at me about this one in particular because she goes, Jack, we are the church. We're not limited to 50, 90, and 200. And she's right about that. We can jumpstart this. More often than not, though, I found we don't. Most people don't. It takes a long time, and you got to be patient. That 200 hours, by the way, this is one of the reasons it's so hard for us to start new groups because people got so much time invested. They get to this point and they're like, why do I want to end this and start over again? Uh, it took me this long to get this depth, and I understand that. But I just want to give you a reminder, and I don't mean this trite, you got heaven with them. You're going to have eternity with them. And here are these other people along the way that don't have that, and you've had a taste of it. You know how to get this going. You know how to initiate this. And it's so important that we get a vision for that to continue to build and to cultivate that. 
but it takes time. Third cost, friendship requires sacrifices because in order to have a friend, you got to be a friend. And that, by the way, what this means is they won't always meet your expectations of what you think a friend ought to be. They're going to meet their expectations. And we got to be patient with one another as we work and as we strive towards these relationships. Now, let me tell you, with my own friends, I've had to end, here's what I've had to do, part of my sacrifice. I've had to interrupt my schedule. I've had to take on immediate phone calls. I've had to go to hospitals and sit with people. I've had to let them cry on my chest or on my shoulder. I've had to let them use my things, borrow my car, borrow my tools. I've spent money on friends, on their needs, on some other things. When I was with the airlines, we had these buddy passes. I used to give the buddy passes away to my friends and people who needed them. And then I've had to take my time and help people with tasks. And my friends have done all of that with me in spades. But it was sacrifice on both of our ends. This, though, is how we will often demonstrate our friendship. Fourth cost, friendship is at times going to bring you pain. Now, that doesn't sound like a great way to sell friendships, but we got to deal in truth. And the truth is, they will hurt you at times. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. They're going to fail. They're going to flake out. They're going to take advantage, and they might even use you. And it isn't because you're a loser. The, re- the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he makes this comment. He says, at my first offense, none, none came to my support. Nobody. They all deserted me. And Jesus could say the same thing at the cross. When I needed them the most, they bailed. They left me. So to seek to make friends means you're going to have to take the initiative. At times, they're going to reject you. At times, they're going to hurt you. I went through a season where in this church, I, I, I was questioning, is this the time where God tells me i got to go someplace else? And I called a local pastor and said, I need your help. Man, that guy helped me immensely. And God used him in my life to get me reestablished to the point the elders came and said, we see the value in this. You need to meet not only with our people, but we need to find you a pastor who understands what you're going through and carve time out for that. So I said, great. So I called that guy, and he said, nope, can't do it. (laughs) It was kind of like, oh, okay. So then I had a list. I went through the list. Nope, can't do it. Nope, can't do it. Nope, can't do it. And I understood until I came to one, and I thought, I don't know that I want to meet with him. He's a different denomination, you know, I've heard some things or whatever, but we'll start there. This is one of my closest friends now. I've been meeting with this guy weekly for nine years. There's a bond and a depth that we both have, and we've shared heartaches, and we've shared troubles, and we've shared high points, rejoice together. But it's what we have to do. We have to, we have to go through those things in order to build and to craft these kinds of friendships. So if you're going to do this, I'm going to give you a heads up. Your insecurities are going to come out. And God uses that to shape you, to say, it's not about you, it's about me. I've done this with you. I'm going to help you as you do this with others. And by the way, when it comes to conflict, God's going to help you through that too. By the way, shameless plug, we got an awesome class downstairs called Relational Wisdom about how to deal with conflict. And as Christians, something we need the tools and the skills to be able to do. 
But to, we live in a day and age when conflict arises, people just slip away. They just walk off, go to another church. And initially they think, man, that was the best decision I ever made. Everybody here likes me. Well, the reason they do is because you're a visitor. And then before long, you start to move into this next realm, but you won't reveal yourself still. And if you don't reveal yourself still, you're going right back into the same problem. And then you'll have to leave to become the perpetual visitor and find that um, it isn't working out like you thought. But my challenge for those of you that are willing to take the risk to pay the cost, you will get to live and experience and demonstrate an aspect of the gospel that you cannot do any other way. So coming back to how do we apply this, I'm going to put my other plug in here for these life groups. I want to highly encourage you, if you're not in one, pick one. Give it a shot. Doesn't work for you? That's all right. Go to another one. Try it out. And if this is not the panacea, though, right? I mean, this is not everything solved if you pick one of these and go to it. For some of you, it may be something like the, the men's ministry thing that's happening or the women's ministry Bible study. That may be the place where you find a different level of connection. Or maybe it's just in a place where you're serving alongside other people. But if it's not going to be here, my challenge to you is where is it going to be? Where will you be to craft and to formulate those relationships face-to-face -face and shoulder-to-shoulder? One of my, there's a, there's a lot of movie scenes that really capture the essence of what this feels like. But there's one in particular I want to share. It comes from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, my two favorite scenes are at the end of the first one and the end of the third one. I'm going to share with you one that happens at the end of the first one. And it's after Frodo has been betrayed by one of his friends and he realizes this ring has too much power. I have to rescue my friends if I'm going to get this ring to its destination. So he gets in a boat and he starts to go across the river all by himself. And remember, it's his friend Samwise comes and catches up, and he goes, Mr. Frodo, Mr. Frodo. And Frodo turns around and looks at him and says, Sam, go back. I'm going to Mordor alone. And one of the greatest lines, Samwise looks at him and goes, of course you are, and I'm going with you. And Sam can't swim. So what does he do? He starts to try to swim to get to his friend. And as he's going down, and you think, I don't think he's going to make it. A hand goes down and grabs him, pulls him up, and he gets in the boat. And it's right there. The two men are looking at each other. And Samwise looks, and he says, Mr. Frodo, you need to remember, I gave a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee, and I intend to keep it. I don't mean to forsake it. That's the essence of the gospel. We went out alone, and Jesus came out. And it wasn't that he couldn't swim. It's that he purposed to perish in the water, to take our sins upon him. But he has come back, and he's gotten in our boat to say, I've made a promise. I'm with you, and I intend to keep it. And that is what we pass on to others.